ಭಗವಾಥೋ ಅರ್ಥೋ ಸಂಬುಸ So this uh, following week, we, this evening is the kind of beginning of the uh, formal retreats, community retreat where we uh, intend to meet together, practice together. And so this is, uh, and but the main point of it is reflecting on the way it is. Uh, the different styles of where you give an individual kind of practice, self-practice or group practice. And we have our preferences. Uh, we like one better than the other or find one more, gives us more uh, peace or less peace or whatever, and this isn't the point, isn't just to be the observer. The point is to to learn to rest in the knowing of the way it is rather than keep thinking about how you would like it to be. Or just putting up with it in their own group practice, bear with it for a week, one can do it in a bitter style or enthusiasm or whatever, but the point is to be aware of what you're actually feeling, not in a critical way, and not telling you how you should feel, but just encouraging you to be aware of right now the feeling is like this. And when I talk like this, how does that affect you? You know, how do, I'm not uh, giving you advice on how you should practice, but These are opportunities or situations or conditions to use for awareness so that we begin to see that how we, you know, we have preferences, prejudices, opinions, views, <clears throat> attitudes, moods, all kinds of different conditions arise and cease in our minds. And so the with awareness, sati sampatanya, we, we're tuning into that, being aware of it, of change, rather than, uh, you know, trying to, you know, pass val uh, moral judgments or value judgments on anything that we're experiencing. So it's like being the knowing, or this sense of pure knowing, the way it is. And this is, This is where we, the mindfulness is the gate to the deathless. Um, this ability to be aware actually is, is the path itself. And even though you might understand this and you might even grasp what I'm saying, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not asking you to believe me or grasp my words or to just try to argue with me about it. But to, you know, to, these are suggestions to the mind using language 
in order to encourage awareness, awakeness. Because this is something each one of us can. We can be awake. We can't always be what we would like to be or what I would like you to be or anything like that. But we can be aware of the way it is. And so this is the, the puto tammo sanko, the reality of Buddha, of uh, awakened consciousness. So this is why reflecting on what, what the unity of this moment is consciousness. There's oneness. There's no separation in consciousness. And so when we're aware, then we, we begin to recognize oneness or non-division, consciousness, recognizing it. Realizing it, it's reality. It's not not a uh, a kind of dependent state that that we have to achieve. It's just the problems are always around not recognizing, always being caught up in the conditions, in our desires, our views, opinions, and so forth. So then, that that's where the separation comes in, and so this is why they kind of explore that. Investigate, and that's what we call reflection or sati sampajanya, sati panya, <coughs> investigating. Yoni uh, somanasikara, um, getting to the root, you know, to see, to know for yourself. And oneness, even the word oneness, can be misleading because we we might have some kind of ideal of oneness some kind of preconception or some expectation that we, you know, the sense of oneness is something that we might like to achieve or attain. Martin, so we, being aware of that, of how we, even the words we use get in the way. The, the conditions are to be seen in terms of a Nietzsche Dukkanata rather than than uh, given, uh, uh, you know, being our refuge or our attachment. So during this following week, there's an opportunity, the group practice, the effect we have on each other in a group and the, the uh, formal commitments to the uh, retreat as, as it's established uh, for this following week. So today I was uh, invited to attend a memorial, uh, a hundred day memorial ceremony for uh, Dr. Vajranyana who died a hundred days ago, one of the uh, Mahateras of, of this country uh, at the London Buddhist Vihara. And so this is, you know, the sense of the monks that were here in England when I came have all died now. now he was one, he was here in London um, when I arrived and Dr. Sadatisa was the head of the London Buddhist Vihara, he passed away long ago. Dr. Revadadama, the Burmese 
monk in Birmingham. He was here. And within the past several years, Dr. Bhavadadam and Dr. Vajrayana have passed away. And then uh, Somdet Mahakosananda. He wasn't in England at the time. <laughs> He's also another very senior uh, bhikkhu who I knew. So these, you know, this passing of the of that generation of Mahateras has its effect on on one's consciousness. This the the effect of the now the association is that Dr. Vajrayana is dead. Zumdet Mahagosananda is dead. So that word dead is it's a pretty harsh word in English, isn't it? It's, it's kind of, we, we don't really like to say it in polite society. You say passed away or gone beyond. Or there's various euphemisms that, that ease the kind of starkness because uh, using the word dead is... It can be... It's too... It can be too uh, too too heavy for some people, but that's why I'm using it to to <laughs> not to try to use you from use uh, uh, tender words to soften the effect, but to point to this how the words do affect us. And so the word "dead" is is uh, you know it has a deadening effect. <laughs> and say, if, if when, we re when, we, when we don't, when they're alive, then we think of them, as, even though we may not know, maybe they're dead. The ones, the, the monks remaining, maybe they're, they all died in Thailand and Sri Lanka or due to some strange... <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I haven't heard the news. But the assumption is that they're alive. So when I think of Rumpali and Wat Pong, I don't think of it. The word dead doesn't arise, but alive. And this is where, you know, this is where Sati Sampachanya is useful, just to, to see how these words affect consciousness. Because consciousness is the unitive reality of this moment. The words are the, uh, have their effect on our emotions. The word alive or assuming that they're alive and hopefully well and and our loved ones are, are ones we admire and love and respect are alive and it feels like this different than when the word dead comes into the picture now in the terms of consciousness. You know, we think of consciousness that somebody, because uh, Somdet Mahagosananda's body died, and we're sitting here in England, and he died in Massachusetts, in the United States, and his body is probably there in, in the temple in in Massachusetts, and so we know these these things, the kind of facts or conditions of the descriptions. While we are physically, we're physically here, sitting in, in this uh, sala, and what we call Amravati in England. And so, this sense of separation is 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 uh, how what we regard as reality, isn't it? It feels separate, like 
Massachusetts is uh, way over there on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, Mahago Sananda died and he died in Massachusetts over there while I'm sitting here at Amravati. And so on and on, and just by listening, exploring that which we take for granted, you know, this we think is the real world or the stark facts of life or uh, what now we call the real world, isn't it? What most people call reality is really uh, a procession of perceptions, memories in our consciousness at this moment. So, Somdet Mahagosananda is dead, is still, you know, is a perception in consciousness at this moment. Now, this is the way it is. I'm not trying to deny or diminish the effect of this great monk's uh, death. But in terms of Dhamma, we're looking at it at the way it is here and now as, we're, as our bodies are sitting here in this sala. And the reality, uh, some, of, some of you may have never heard of uh, Somdet Mahagosananda. Maybe some of you have heard of him and maybe some of you know him. But, uh, and so it has different effects, you know, there's just some, some monk we don't know. If it's somebody we know, it has different, you know, we have memories, we have opinions or emotion, emotional reactions to the loss of, uh, of, of saintly monk. He's very pure-hearted, a monk with a very pure heart. At least that's my memory of him, my encounters with is a very pure-hearted human being. In other words, he didn't seem to have any ego or vanity or anything like that. He seemed quite simple in a way, and yet he was very intelligent. He was Mahan, learned in, in scripture and all that. And yet, my encounters with him was, was uh, he seemed very, very simple, not in Simple in as stupid, but simple in just not having any complications in himself. And this is just my impression, from what I remember of having encountered Somdet Mahagosananda over uh, many years. So I tell the story about when was one time I was in Switzerland, and uh, this was years ago, and. Um, and the Cambod there were some Cambodian people in Switzerland that brought Mahagosananda. Uh, so we met, and uh, he'd heard of Amaravati, so he wanted to come here. So suddenly he decides, out of the blue, this, is his, this was his style, you know, he goes against all our desires to arrange and control life. Uh, very frustrating, actually. <laughs> when you're a control freak and <laughs> and then he suddenly decides he wants to come to Amravati. So the Cambodian community, you know, finally purchased a ticket, you know, so he can fly back to England with me. So so we, we are on the same flight and leaving from Zurich and uh, I remember going through the <laughs> It's a cold, I think it's November or December in, 
So it was quite cold, and 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 Somdet Mahagosananda, uh, in terms of Thai first tradition, was a real rag bag of robes. He wore the most helter-skelter collection of of robes that that uh, you know he looked looked uh, looked quite funny, really. And uh, you know, in our tradition, we kind of pride ourselves on the you know this sense of being proper and and uh, smartly robed and so forth. Well, this didn't seem to have any any kind of reality for him or importance in his life. Then we were walking through the Zurich airport, you know, on the way to the, to go to the gate to board the airplane, and, and he was wearing a, a, a knitted cap made out of pink angora wool. And it's the kind of pink color you you put you know you use for baby girls, very pretty pink. And so we're walking through the lounges, and this he's wearing this ridiculous hat cap, and and the, on all these kind of ragged robes. And suddenly I felt very silly, you know. I felt kind of embarrassed. And then I looked around and I saw people around in the airport looking at him and, and giggling and laughing. And, and then I looked at him and he was laughing. <laughs> so he seemed to be enjoying it himself. I thought, that really is kind of beautiful. Because suddenly I relaxed and thought, just joined in in the kind of hilarity of the moment. Because he, he looked like a, crowd, a clown, he looked quite ridiculous. But he was laughing with them, and this is this is kind of like this is why I call like pure of heart. He had a kind of purity, uh, or innocence, or whatever you call it, it that uh, I think most people that met him felt. You know, he was he didn't see he certainly didn't suffer from vanity. <laughs> but that's a memory, isn't it? And so he he was, you know, he spent many. Yes, uh, he was uh, in Thailand at the time, uh, practicing meditation when the Cambodian, when the Khmer Rouge invaded, and of course, his family was um, killed by the Khmer Rouge and <coughs> the usual miserable uh, kind of memories of of a period that is very painful for Cambodians, and yet one never felt any bitterness in uh, Somdet Mahagosananda. And he really felt he really practiced Dhamma. There was no, you never detect, there's no blame, no negativity. Uh, and then his attempts after uh, the Khmer Rouge to, to bring to the Cambodian people, you know, the country was of course totally traumatized during that period brutalized and traumatized and as soon as this period ended he you know he had these these walks through Cambodia just to bring just to be you know not to preach and or to do anything other than just be fully present in himself so these were quite amazing the kind of response and that he had from these uh, these uh, com compassionate attempts to, you know, uh, bring back to his 
his people uh, the sense of Buddha Dhamma, of mindfulness. So this is, a, you know, this takes a very selfless, you have to be totally selfless to, to, to be on this wave of uh, mentality. Because in terms of condition phenomena, it's, uh, there's so much to resent or be angry or be indignant or enraged about if you've been, you know, if you've been, if your family have been murdered or your country destroyed and your culture decimated and everything that you, you kind of value and treasure and your religion and culture have been somehow very badly uh, uh, harmed and and traumatized. So this was another very uh, marvelous kind of uh, representation of a human individual, a Buddhist monk, um, who was who who was actually practicing the Dhamma, who was living the Dhamma. He wasn't just going through the motions, but he actually, you know, applied sati sampachanya, sati panya to the to the conditions that he had to experience in his in his mind, in his body. So these are, you know, these are inspiring examples to us, like uh, Somdet Mangosananda is an inspiring example, and still is. Just like uh, Lung Po Cha, who died many years ago, 1992, and, and yet he still, you know, the memory of him is still an inspiration to us. And is, you know, what has been He's even more famous now that he's dead than he was when he was alive. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's because of the the dhamma and the the actual uh, power of practice of really putting it into to to making it work for you. You know, not just trying to to follow a, a, a instructions that you get out of books or trying to make yourself or create yourself into some ideal samana, um, ideal monk or nun or anything like that. Because that, that you can't sustain. And that's not inspiring at all. It's the inspiration comes through the, uh, those who, who awaken to, real, to the real, awaken to, awaken to reality. And this is the this is the whole point of the Buddha's uh, teaching: wake up to the Dhamma. So, like the Dhamma is reality. You can use the word, you know, reality for the Dhamma or the truth of the way it is. The word Dhamma itself, being a Pali word, oftentimes it it become it can become an, too much of an abstraction. You know, kind of. We say take refuge in the Dhamma, and, and and what do we mean by that? You know, and we can think of it as the teaching of the Buddha, the scriptures. Uh, uh, we we tend to fix it onto some condition. You know, something that we can point to, like uh, you know, Prapitika or <laughs> whatever. But uh, this is uh, this isn't it. You know, Dhamma is the re is reality. So when we say 
mindfulness is awakened to reality. So Bhutto, Bhutto, Buddha is is our, our ability to awaken. It's not becoming a Buddha, like I'm suddenly transformed into a Buddha. That's not it. But it's it's uh, this this attitude of refuge in the Buddha or Bhutto is is using a conventional word Buddha but it's not to be attached to uh, you know some kind of thing or object but it's a reminder it's a an awakening a word to awaken now if we just grasp the word, then we don't awaken to it. We're just grasping another word, like we grasp all the other words in, in our minds. So we, you know, we're just grasping just another word. Maybe it's a good word, but it's still grasping in ignorance. <laughs> so I'm not saying that, you know, it's better to grasp a good word than a bad word. But the point of it is, is that if you don't awaken, then you don't even know if you're grasping bad words, bad views, harmful views. We get lost in our ignorance and in the in illusions. When a Buddhist talks about the world being an illusion, I remember uh, when I first came to live in England, you know, the, I met some, some of the old English Buddhists pioneers of this country and and I remember the, having discussions about that they don't like this idea like in Asia they the world is an illusion um, and they, they think the real world they still are convinced that the real world was was the world that they that they were grasping and, uh, because it does seem very real you know to us this ourselves our personalities our egos our feelings are very real. This is the real world. This is me, and and uh, this is reality. The political situation, the economic conditions of this country, the the problems, the difficulties. The, this this is a real world. And yet, you know, they say this is the, in in Buddhism. We say the world is an illusion. Now I'm not asking you to go to grasp the idea that the world is an illusion because you know it's not this is not an intellectual kind of game you're playing with the mind but uh, it's for investigation investigating what is illusory what is reality and this isn't something I, I you know that I can't tell you and it, because you grasp it, you know, if, you, if whatever I say you might grasp or reject. But to encourage or, or uh, kind of point to reality. And when I'm pointing to reality right now, I'm really pointing, you know, if I'm look at, looking here. And this is a gesture of looking at my own heart or jitta, consciousness. Beginning to recognize awakening to the reality of consciousness because it's it's real it's not a I mean in the word itself is another word but 
what is it point what is the reality of consciousness at this moment and if you try to think about it you've lost it because your thoughts will, will you can't fully uh, recognize reality if you're trying to figure it out and think about it or define it it's the simple ability we have to just awaken and recognize each one of us is experiencing consciousness at this very moment this is uh, this is our oneness our wholeness we're not when it's not two consciousness not my consciousness and your consciousness when it comes to my consciousness and your consciousness, then I have to start thinking. As I think, my consciousness is not is different from yours. And then I'm creating myself in you, isn't it? The sense of separation. Uh, I'm I'm believing in that in the in this illusion of separation. Is is real? Is the ultimate reality? you and I are separate because that's how it looks through the eye or seems that's how we're conditioned to think me and you my life and your life so that's why pointing to Satisampachanya the Puto Tammo Sankho is awakenness and so when when I use this this word, it's, 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 a, it's a simple reality of being present, attentive. It's not grasping anything or trying to find anything, but just recognizing. And for me, this, this, this is very much just being here. I still, you know, when I look at you, you still seem separate through eye consciousness. But but that's because of the nature of the eye, of the senses, of the physical body is is seems, seems separate. I'm here and you're there. This body's here, your body's down there on the floor. <laughs> then as we let go of language and thought and, gra and that's this grasping, we relinquish, we release ourselves from grasping and habitual grasping and and so forth then we begin to recognize in consciousness has no boundary and it's real this is reality and it's another because there's no self I can create a sense of a self in it but if I don't do that, then there's no sense of me and mine. There's uh, my, you know, the sense of separateness uh, through language, through attachment to memories, through attachment to identities. They dissolve, and then what remains, when everything, when you let go of the world, everything, and let go completely of conditioned phenomena, there's still consciousness and awareness. So this is this is to be recognized and realized. Now this is very much part of that Four Noble Truths, the, the, the teaching of the Lord Buddha. The Third Noble Truth is the recognition. It's the realization. 
when we talk about the realization of cessation, it's usually put in those terms, niroda, and then to be realized, should be realized. What do we mean by should be real? How does how can you realize cessation? And and I know from my own experience that those words, uh, oftentimes my own language confuses me, because uh, you know for me the English language is is the language I learned from my original language. So it's a habit, a strong habit, and oftentimes I just you know I'm just used to thinking in English and. And, and the habits of English thought, of the way I, I've been, the, the assumptions I've made from childhood uh, can remain the same even at 72. So that's why you can't trust your thinking mind. And, and, the, and the, that, you know, it's, it's, it, remember, it's very conditioned. And thinking and is dependent on so many other conditions. You know, just this... Uh, grasping of thought, of memory, of mental states, identity with the body, with the emotions and memories. So this uh, reality of awareness is not created. I don't create it. I can't find it when I look for it, but I can recognize it through letting go, through non-attachment, through awareness. So in this, in the, the the, the getting back to the perception of Somdet Mahagosananda as dead. This is a perception, the body, physical body that we we refer to as Somdet Mahagosananda is no longer conscious, but there's still consciousness. You know that doesn't die. That the the body that 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 we we uh, assumed was Mahagosananda, this personality, this Cambodian monk, and so forth, and all the, the kind of descriptions, memories, uh, opinions we had about Somdet Mahagosananda. But consciousness, awakening to recognizing pure consciousness, that's the consciousness doesn't die. So then, 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 by reflecting in this way, then that that sense of loss of you know personal loss and grief and that suddenly we're 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 tuning in to to reality rather than just personal emotional reactions. The sense of loss. My teacher is dead. Uh, on a personal level, one can feel grief, and and you know one can be uh, feel a sense of great loss and and even despair and life is meaningless. When somebody you love very much or uh, depend on a lot, then and they die, then you know you have this feeling of life isn't worth living, nothing to live for, because uh, emotionally it might seem like that. And we think of death as kind of total separation, you know, total loss. When somebody's dead, that means we'll never see them again. And so, and so we, uh, you know, we we feel this sense of 
total loss, of total separation. Now this is where our refuge in awareness, in Satisampachanya, Satipanya, we, we begin to break through that illusion of separation, and this oneness, deathless, amatadhamma. This is real, this is reality, this is not a, an abstract metaphysical proposition. <laughs> The Buddha was pointing to reality, not to to brilliant ideas. And so this is this is to be realized. Each we, each one of us, like you know, we, I can't make you realize it. You know, I'd like to. Harmony would like to kind of make you realize. It. <laughs> when I do that, uh, it, it it has the opposite effect. <laughs> Because it's not a matter of me making you realize that in terms of of awakening, encouraging, pointing. Now here at Amravati we've got very good conditions for practice. You know, so it's uh you know, the situation here is uh is very you know, in terms of meditation practice it's that's why we're really here, what we're really interested in, why we are samanas, is because we're all interested in meditation, in 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 awakeness, and to be free from the the lack or the loneliness of separation. Because the other, the realm of separation, leads to loneliness and sense of unfulfillment and something's missing and then we blame and create problems and we blame ourselves or our parents or whatever, you know, we, we, we go into a whole realm of, of, you know, conditions that we attach to that enforce, reinforce this illusion of separation. The, in, you know, here the, the aim of this Retreat really is to keep pointing, keep encouraging you to to awaken or to recognize what awakenness is. And so that's a, one of the great great things about Buddhism is that you know people have asked me over, over the years. You know, <laughs> told you this probably many times before, but people ask, what if, if you were to do? Describe the Buddha's teaching in one sentence. How would what would you say? You know, and this was last uh, yesterday. In fact, these the students from University of London. <laughs> could you describe the the real? Could you give the teaching of the Buddha in one sentence? What is the real meaning of the Buddhism in one sentence? And, I, uh, and so I said, one word: awaken. <laughs> That's what that's what it, it's as simple as that. It's it's so simple. Buddhism, Buddhism isn't. Buddhism tends to get complicated when we talk about Buddhism. Then we're talking about all kinds of Buddhist conditions. There's Mahayana, Vajrayana, Theravada, Hinayana, Sokogakai. Friends of the Western Buddhist order, there is uh, Dhammagaya, there is uh, breaking up in all kinds of 
all kinds of Buddhist-like uh, conditions. So Buddhism is, uh, you know, can include everything from, you know, from, you know, people want to say, real Buddhism is like this, then we get into our heavy mode of Theravada is the real Buddhist teaching. We get into the hardline Theravada mode, you know, that's the real Buddhism, but for me, the word Buddhism includes everything, you know, everything that everybody wants that says it's Buddhist is fair enough. You know, it looks that way, or the, you call yourself Buddhist if you want. But the, but so I'm not going to quibble or argue on that point about real Buddhism. Because in English, the Buddhism, when you put ism on a word, it, it's about, it's about things, you know, about Buddhist type things, or Buddhist-like things, or different customs and different traditions. But when you're talking about Dhamma, you know, you keep saying, Buddha was not a Buddhist. <laughs> Buddha kno knows the Dhamma. Now that paradigm, isn't it? That's the kind of, you know, Buddha Dhamma Sangha, there are these three refuges. And so that isn't, isn't about being Theravada or anything else, or attaching to any particular tradition, then we might become a Buddhist, or a Theravadan Buddhist, or a Mahayana Buddhist that way. But in what the Buddha was pointing to was reality here and now. Wake up, pay attention, observe, be the knowing, be this Bhutto, this awakened consciousness, a listener, one who listens and observes, witnesses, not with a critical mind. We're not trying to, we're not comparing one condition with another. We're, this is the Vipassana style of Anicca Dukkanata. That, that's, you know, those three characteristics are common to all conditions. So it's, it's a way of, of simplifying everything. We don't have to go around saying which are the best and worst. Best and worst and everything in between, the best and the worst are conditions. Arising, ceasing, impermanent, non-self. When, when you really sort through that till there's nothing left, there's still consciousness, awareness, there's wisdom, panya. This is where panya operates. Seeing, knowing reality. And this is uh, this is the uh, you know in terms of being a human individual, this is a uh, you know the great gift of being human, having a hu human birth. Because this we can do, you know. This is a this is something within the within the problems, difficulties, and that of being having a human body, being a human being, with all its uh, you know its sensitivity, the physical body itself, the aging process, the, the thinking mind, the emotions and all the rest that, that, that qualify us as human beings. The, the way out of, of the way of awakening to Dhamma. This Buddha, Buddha is, that's why you can make Buddha images, human-like images.
you know, Buddha rupas are human, the kind of iconic stylized human forms, you know, so, so it's about being human and awake. Well, that says it all, really. It's not about becoming something or the next life or better rebirth and or you know getting caught up in the in in all the ideas that, that are formed that have formed and have been created within that category of Buddhism, but awakening to Dhamma, to reality. So the real is here and now recognizable through non-attachment, through awareness. So this is um, hopefully um, an encouragement for this uh, next week of practice. Uh, I think, you know, it's really one thing in, in, uh, in you know, monastic communities where we're really here for the same you know, we, we're here too for this awakeness. And so as we meditate together, then we, you know, this is like really supporting each other in this, you know, in this, in this uh, situation we find ourselves in this time of the year, uh, moving towards the end of March, it'll be the spring, uh, Equinox in a couple of days, even though today seems like a return to winter. <laughs> but these are uh, these are conventions too, isn't it? Spring equinox isn't is still uncertain, <laughs> even though we say it's on the twenty first or twenty second of March. It, you know, it may still feel like winter, or it may suddenly turn hot and it's like summer. Weather in this country is like that. You're never quite sure what you're going to get. <laughs> so I offer this for reflection.